forever. Dog. Just between us. Hey. Just between us. Hey. Hello, I'm Alison Raskin. I'm a writer, mental health advocate, and I'm pretty mad. <gasps> I'm Gabby Don. I'm a writer, bicon, bisexual icon, wink. And I was about to say I'm big mad. Yep. Today is a day to be furious. Yeah. We are recording this on June 24th when the Supreme Court just ruled to overturn Roe v. Wade. Yup. And in that uh, little hot, hot piece of writing by Clarence Thomas, who I don't even know how. How how is he still allowed to be on the Supreme Court? I like, I do not understand what is going on. Well, he also mentioned gay marriage and uh, sodomy laws. So... That is coming down the pipe, I feel like. That is truly upsetting, especially because two days from now is the seven-year anniversary of the legalization of gay marriage. So what a happy anniversary to us. I don't know. I don't know, man. I know that there's abortion funds. I know that there's people on the ground doing incredible work. I know Shout Your Abortion is doing incredible work. I know individual abortion funds are preferable to be donated to over Planned Parenthood in some cases, um, if you can find your local fund to where you live. But yeah, basically what's going to happen is it's just going to go back to being underground, which it has been in the past anyway. So there's they're not actually protecting kids or protecting women or protecting people with uteruses or protecting anybody. They're not protecting anybody. No, as far as they're controlling people. No, they're doing forced birth so that they can maintain a lower class so and a that workforce. They have, and so they have a workforce. Yeah. God forbid an Amazon workshop not have just a bunch of little hands ready to do the work. I hit the mic. That's how pissed I am. Sometimes I'm like, to what end? Like, and it's just to have a society that is, I guess, the the lower class is just fully controlled because it's not about what it's actually about. Like it's never they don't just care about children. Yeah. Like if you look at any policies that the conservative right pushes for, it is all anti-children. They right. don't care about like a universal preschool. They don't care about parental leave. Right. They don't care. Like they would rather take kids out. Like I saw this tweet that was like they took a kid out of their home because the parents didn't have the resources to support them and gave and then gave the kid to a foster parent who they gave the resources to support the kid. Right, right. Do you know what I mean? Just give those resources to the parents. Right. It's unbelievable. But it's <sighs> like, yeah. So it's we're big mad today. This is also just between us. <laughs> it's a variety show filled with heartfelt advice. Ridiculous games. And brutal honesty. We are back in person sitting together on this couch today. <laughs> so, so the world is falling apart. But in JBU news, <laughs> we will now be releasing every episode as a full episode on YouTube. Full video. Full video. We'll be together largely. Yeah. And, and I think Gabby and I both had a birthday this month. And at least for me, this new year 
one of my goals is to put more energy and time into JBU mm-hmm. and trying to really grow the podcast. And part of that is is providing the video. And also, if you guys want to help us grow the podcast, give us Share reviews. Share it with your Share friends. Reviews. Say that we're back on YouTube. We're coming yeah. at you fast. We're coming at you angry. And <laughs> you're going to be able to yeah. watch the entire... I know you guys have asked. So you are going to be able to watch the entire episode all the way through on YouTube, the whole hour to hour and a half that we record. And you will be able to see our beautiful faces while you while you listen. And also, hopefully, largely we'll be in the same room to do it. Sometimes I do have to go back to my cabin in the woods. Um, but <laughs> but most of the time uh, we will be in person recording and you will get to see all of it. We also do we want to say that we're making a TikTok? Yeah, we're going to make we're, we're look, we are <laughs> we are we are committed to social media of it all because that's the way things happen. That's life, baby. And yeah. so I'm forcing Gabby to make a JBU TikTok to show that we're trying. Yeah. I said to Gabby, I said, let's give it four months. <laughs> we're going to give it four months of bringing you hot TikTok content. Because here's the problem is that the episodes of the show are so good. Like we're like, I think the show is amazing. I think we do such a good job. Um, and then and then we're like, we don't want to be on TikTok, but we'll do it. We're going to be on TikTok. I'll we're going to record I don't in mind being on TikTok. I just don't really know how to do it, even though I did teach a university class. About <laughs> <it>. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, we're going to make so we each have our own TikToks, but we're going to make a, a JBU TikTok and you guys better effing follow it. Please follow it. Yeah. Like it. Tell us what kind of content you want on the TikTok. We're thinking of really doing a lot of hypotheticals, mm-hmm. um, pulling some fun clips from the show. And then maybe I'm I, again, I'm trying to get Gabby to commit to doing some bits with me. They're reluctant. They're not <laughs> looking forward to it. But Melissa says that she will. So it might just end up being me and Melissa doing bits and Gabby's barely on the TikTok. <laughs> you like, uh, yeah, I'm here. I was I showed up to this recording probably like 10 minutes late with a coffee. And I feel like that's the energy I want to give you guys. I came. Uh, I was on time. <laughs> I was on time and ready to go. I have multiple outfits in my bag. Now that we're back on video. Here we go. It's I got a- one extra sweater. <laughs> Let's rock and roll. <laughs> we have an amazing guest today. Okay, so this timed out actually pretty perfectly, unfortunately, question mark. Uh, But we have uh, Gayla Turner on who wrote a book called Don't You Dare, which is about finding out that her grandmother was a lesbian in like 1915. And Gayla herself is a lesbian here in the year of our Lord 2022. And um, so the book is about like digging into this big secret from her grandma's past. So cool. Such an amazing story. Also, just like to be talking about gay marriage now on this episode when we woke up this morning to it being under attack is uh I just think destiny I don't believe in destiny okay could you just like nicely be like I don't know what to say because I get worried because I have I have clearly stated that before and so now why am I getting your head shaking at me Melissa you believe in destiny child she believes in destiny's Destiny's child child. (laughs) even beyonce doesn't believe in destiny's child (laughs) well she does all right and then later we're going to be talking about the hearings right yeah it's a fun bright breezy episode okay okay it will be (laughs) think about where we came from on our couch show to this we're like 
Yeah, we're back on YouTube talking about abortion rights, <laughs> gay marriage, and January 6th hearings. So we're going to have a fun time. Allison's a blonde. Gabby's trans. We don't have time to unpack that. If you haven't seen us since BuzzFeed, get on board. Things happen. People change. <laughs> okay. <laughs> but first and foremost, the backbone of this show. We have got to answer a listener's question. Okay. So you know what that means. Hit it! <laughs> international question! International question! International question! Alex Amsterdam. Oh, I've never been, but I really want to go. I want to go so bad. Let's go right now. The U.S. seems bad. Let's yeah, go to Amsterdam right now. I'd live pretty much anywhere but here. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> so Alex says, Hey, howdy, hey. Love it. TLDR, how do I get more comfortable stating my needs with my friends, especially when I already know they conflict with what the other person wants? Ooh, okay, we're getting into wedding drama, yeah, guys. This is, get ready. Buckle up. I'm currently planning a wedding and I'm in the stage of trialing slash hiring hair and makeup artists. I have four bridesmaids and I'm offering to pay for all of their services. Very nice. One of the four has stated that she will be doing her own hair and makeup. I was bothered by this on two fronts. One, she didn't have a conversation with me beforehand. I had told them that I was, of course, willing to talk about it if anyone felt uncomfortable about having their hair and makeup done by someone else. And two, she is not a professional hair and makeup artist. So I worry she will stick out in the photos I am paying entirely too much money for. And if all the other bridesmaids are professionally done up. Okay. I have such so many conflicting I know, emotions too, about me this. Too, me too. We have a lot to dive into. Okay. Wanting to nip this in the bud, I tried to send her a voice message asking her thoughts on the matter because I had some logistical concerns I wanted to talk through, but wanted to know where she was coming from with her wants slash needs. Long story short, she had a volley of frustrating texts where she was misunderstanding and just not listening to me. So I decided to wait until we could talk on the phone about it. We live very far apart, so in person isn't really an option. Okay. Here's the thing. I am almost sick with the idea of coming to her with the idea that I what, what I want is not what she wants. My friend can be a little belligerent in getting her way. I always joke that I am a type A personality until a more type A personality comes around and then I shift to avoid any butting of heads. I also have been known to come to the table with compromises before I ever state my actual wants slash needs. I certainly don't want to fall into the habit when it comes to my wedding, but I also don't want to be a bridezilla slash risk losing a friend. I also don't think letting it go is an option because if it's stressing me out now, it probably will on the day and I don't want to even risk that. Also, I am more than willing to compromise on this matter. I just want to talk talk it through. But even that has me on edge because I worry she won't want to bend and will not want to be a bridesmaid slash not be my friend anymore. How can I become more comfortable taking up space in friendships by making sure I at least state my needs? Or maybe the question is, how can I trust my friends to not get mad slash leave me when I respectfully push back against them? I'm not really sure, but any slash all advice would be appreciated. Also, I've been fans of yours since college, and I can't explain how much you both mean to me. You are so open and courageous and make me feel safe to change things about myself I once thought were my truths. Thank you for sharing so much and helping me and so many others feel not alone. Okay. I picked this question because I have this problem where I am terrified of ever bringing up a problem with a friend, because as you know, I've lost so many friends. Uh huh. But the example here is giving me some pause. Okay. Yes. So uh, 
the TLDR of how do I get more comfortable stating my needs with friends, especially when I know they conflict with what the other person wants. Yes, that is a really good question. Great question. Huge question. (laughs) Huge question. Would love to know the answer. Yeah. (laughs) I also want to say that I see this a lot with people where they come to the table with, okay, my partner does this, where they come to the table with the compromise already, a compromise that they know they don't want and they're not going to be happy with, but they approach the conversation with that compromise instead of at first saying what they actually want because they're so worried about the other person's opinion. Mm. So then the other person thinks that that's what they want. So then they compromise even further. And then they, the other person goes, great, we came to a middle ground, but it was like not even what Mal wanted in the first place. Uh, so yeah. I often say like, I, I help them with like writing emails or work stuff or whatever. I often will say, you know, if they're texting someone back, I'll say, don't, don't give them the rope to hang you with already. Like, Come in with what you actually want first so that then the compromise is an actual compromise and not just you being like, I have to people please and say what this person wants first and, you know, or at least say something that I think they'll respond positively to first because what I want is sheerly too much, you know, then you just end up unhappy. Like if you're that person, you will just always be unhappy with the outcome. Don't even give them the opportunity like I'll be like hey I need to be paid back for this but Mal will write an email and be like hey I need to be paid back for this if you only want to pay me 75 percent that's fine but I'm like don't say that let them ask for what they want you know what I mean don't don't give them the things that they can then use to say back to you so that I totally understand so that's my advice however and maybe this is hey okay don't ask me about straight culture right now damn it (laughs) Okay, no, sorry. You can. You can. Oh, no, okay. okay, straight culture. If you could just give me right. some yeah. thoughts on what this is. So straight culture is wild. Let's start <laughs> I'm with aware. That. Uh, I'm not proud to be a part of it. Um, <laughs> but I will say weddings tend to bring out sides of people that don't seem to exist outside of this like weird societal norm. Okay. And so... I totally get wanting things to go your way on a wedding. I totally get wanting to alleviate your stress around your wedding and wanting that day to just be the way that you want it because guess what? It probably won't be in some ways. So, mm-hmm. you know, trying to go into it with a as big of a plan as you can, can can help. But my problem with this specific issue and compromise is that it has to do with another person's body. Right. And I just don't think that that is the kind of thing that we can expect to have control over of someone else. Yes. And so I think that this might be a case where what's really important is why doesn't this person want professional hair and makeup done? Yes. Because that might be really revealing, right? Maybe they don't like strangers touching them. Maybe they have sensitive skin. Maybe, uh, can I also just say, and no shade to hair and makeup artists for weddings, but I've never looked, I've never gotten my hair and makeup done for a wedding and been like, thank goodness I look great. (laughs) Because you always look like some weird doll version of yourself. You don't look like yourself. Yeah. So I'm hesitant to give specific advice about this aside from try to get an understanding of where they're coming from, because I think that that might be really helpful to you. Like, you know, they might just like there might be something going on there that is like a lot deeper than than you think. I I, I just think anything that has to do with another person's body 
it's just, it's different than other things, right? Like it's different than like, can you show up at my rehearsal dinner an hour early so that you can help me set up the flowers? Right, that's you know, different. like that's an example of taking up space in a friendship, but like, how do we go about doing it and, and feel comfortable asking that? I don't feel comfortable giving advice on how to do something like this because it is control over someone else's body. I feel weird about bridesmaids dresses. I remember my sister-in-law's wedding she had a friend who was like a total goth, like goth, goth. Mm-hmm. And then her bridesmaids dresses were pink. And there was like a like a a joke of the wedding was like, Danielle hates this. And I was like, why would you do this to your friend? Yeah, <laughs> it's really hard. I mean, again, like I, I feel like weddings are like this weird, like it's almost like a the Bermuda Triangle. Like it's just like it's this weird thing that doesn't exist in the rest of your life where like all these wants and desires come out and these expectations. And and, and I want to like say, uh, you know, to Alex, like I totally understand where your desire for all of this yes, comes from. Definitely. It is so ingrained in us. I'm sure there's also societal pressure. There's also the financial pressure, like you said, of the photos. But I think just like allowing in this instance to say, is this worth, this feels like an example to me that ultimately isn't worth it Yeah, because it can be incredibly damaging to the person. Again, I could be wrong. Their reasoning might literally just be like, I'm better at doing my makeup than other people. Yeah. But it could be, I don't like strangers touching me or because of the way my hair texture, I have found that, that stylists don't know how to do my hair. Like this is, it feels like a very personal and just, I I get very worried about this. Yeah. We don't know that Alex is straight also. Sorry. Sorry to Alex. No, you're not. Why are you sorry? I immediately was like, this is a straight problem. (laughs) We've got a lot of problems. Um, Yeah. But also I want to say that, you know, I also think framing it as your friend being belligerent is interesting Because like it's if it's two type A people sort of going against each other, perhaps both of you are being irrational. (laughs) You know what I mean? Like maybe it's just irrational meets irrational. Well, I I kind of want to take a step back from this specific thing. And instead, just the broader question of how do we take up more space in our friendships? How do we feel more comfortable bringing up things that are bothering us without the fear that they're going to leave? Yeah. You know, it's been such a journey for me, you know, like I, I have lost friendships where I'm like, I don't even know why I lost that friendship. So then the idea of bringing an issue to a friend, I'm like, well, if I've lost friendships over what I can't even figure out and this, I'm like, well, maybe this would be the thing. It's really scary and it can be really triggering. And, and I think again, it, for me, it's reminding myself that other people have agency. Mm hmm. Right. That like I am the one that is maybe going to bring this to them, but it is up to them for how they're going to handle it. Yes. If that makes sense. And and the agency in that up until this point, they have made the active decision to be my friend. Mm -hmm. And that means something. Yes. Like I'm I'm not forcing them, you know, like I'm not tricking them into being my friend. I'm not yeah. forcing them into being my friend. And for them to have shown up as my friend to the point where I feel like I care enough about this relationship to bring something up, that means something, you yeah. know? And also you can't control the other person's reaction. So they might not like it. Like what you're bringing up might be something that they feel they can't compromise on. And so then you have to then have a response to that. Like you can't just, you have to be like, okay, so if they say no, what do I say back? Or if they don't like it, what do I, what is my next, what is step number two, rather than just going into it with step number one? 
Well, see, I kind of disagree with you because I think sometimes we can plan out seven steps in our head and it's not letting them have an authentic reaction. Oh, no, I'm saying, yeah, like if they can have a reaction, but you just have to be I'm not saying plan it out. I'm just saying, like, be like aware that they might just be like, this is not what I want. And then you can't just go, well, I stated my need. Well, yeah, but I also (laughs) think that like trying to assume their reaction does us all a lot of harm, right? Because we don't know how somebody's going to react until they're reacting. I think the things that you can do is be really thoughtful about when you bring it up, Mm -hmm. you know, and noticing like- Compliment sandwich. Or like that's how you bring it up. But even when you bring it up, like are they stressed on that day? Is it a bad time? Like what, like are you bringing up five minutes before they have to go? Like really be thoughtful about like, bringing it up in a time where there's time to talk about it, time to process it when Mm -hmm. there's not external stressors as much as that's possible. Mm -hmm. But again, for me, it's been a journey of figuring out what is what is worth it to me. Mm -hmm. You know, what kind of friendship do I want to have with this person? There are some friends where bringing up issues aren't worth it because we're not that close. Yeah. But there are some friends where like if I feel like this is really the cost benefit analysis is leading me to believe that I need to address this. Yeah. Then addressing it and, and just taking that risk and remembering friendship is an agreement. Yeah. And that like you're allowed to have certain standards in your friendships. Yeah. And that you shouldn't just take whatever friendship you can get, even and, though I often feel that way. <laughs> and also that you are allowed to... You are allowed, sometimes we're just from our family of origin, we're not taught to take up space or ask for Mm -hmm, anything, mm -hmm. but you are allowed to ask for things. You are allowed to say, hey, can you do this instead? Can we, you know, what's interesting is I never used to, like, I would always be like, oh, I'll just go pick this up or whatever. And then like, I started being like, wait, what if I was like, can you drop this off? And sometimes people will be like, no, you need you to come pick it up. But like, sometimes they'll just be like, oh yeah, I'm in the neighborhood. Like, I don't always have to be the person who is like martyring myself for, you know what I mean? Like people want to do things to like, I don't know. I think, isn't there a study that like friendships are solidified by doing favors for each other? There seems familiar. There's like some study that's like the way to get someone to feel closer to you is to have asked them to do a favor for you. Yeah, I mean, that that's the thing, right? Is people want to be there for each other when given yeah. the opportunity. Yeah. And if you ask someone to, to be there for you, then that makes them like more of your friend. And I think another really important thing is to remember is giving them the context of why you're bringing this up in the first place yeah. and framing it in, I care so much about our friendship. Compliment sandwich. I care so much about our relationship that I'm willing to have this difficult and tough conversation yes. with you because I want our friendship to be better and I yes. want to feel good about it. Yes. It's like with relationships, like sometimes people bring stuff up and, and the other person is like, so you're leaving me. And it's like, no, just be like, hey, I'm bringing this up because I want to stay together. Mm-hmm. Exactly. I'm bringing this up because I want this to be fixed so we can stay together. Exactly. And then, you know, there's always a risk involved. But guess what? There's risks involved with everything. And, you know, you've I've had friendships where I never brought anything up and it still <laughs> ended, you know. So why not try for the friendship that you want and 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 see what happens? And God, please get a, a makeup artist that can color match to skin tone. <laughs> They never can. If you want to submit an international question, you can send it to justbetweenuspod at gmail.com. That's justbetweenuspod at gmail.com. Up next, we've got an exciting interview with our highly esteemed guest, Gayla Turner. So stay tuned.
to just between us it's time for the juiciest most scandalous controversial segment known to all of podcasting tough questions this week on the show we have gala turner whose book don't you dare weaves together a current day journey of discovery and a love story that took place over a century ago guys the story starts when she discovers her grandmother's hidden wedding photos dated june 8th 1915 and learned her grandmother had a secret spoiler alert they were lesbian wedding photos. <laughs> Hi. Hi. Yeah, lesbian wedding photos. <laughs> <laughs> oh, my God. What a day to discuss this. Uh, it is. Yeah. So this is such a wild story. And I have to say one of the things like that's really interesting about this was that you found out this story about your grandma. And then you thought to yourself, this is such an important story that I need to learn how to write so that I can then write a book about it. Right. Like you you didn't think of yourself as a as a writer in that way beforehand. Absolutely not. I had spent most of my time in banking. So this is all kind of one of the things that it happens. And actually, I tried to get some of my friends that are writers already. They're very talented in LA. You get a lot of really talented friends. So I pitched the idea. I was telling them what I found out. I was telling about people in this uh, secret society, about my grandmother and the wedding photos. And I'm like, don't you want to help me? Don't you want to tell the story for me? And they're just like, both of them said, no, I can't tell your story. You have to tell the story. But I'm like, I'm not a writer. So it was just a matter of just settling down and say, okay, I have to, I have a story to tell. The story wants to be told. How do I get to that point? And it's, it was really kind of with baby steps. I mean, this is kind of a, a late life discovery and um, had to kind of go at it and, as a new approach uh, and learning how to do a new skill that I just never thought about. So start at the beginning with the story. Where? How did you find the pictures? What What was your relation? I guess start with what was your relationship with your mom and your grandma before this? My grandmother passed away when I was around 16. So, I mean, I knew who my grandmother was, uh, but I didn't know who she was, so to speak, <laughs> uh, until actually after she had passed, you know, quite a few years later. Uh, but my relationship with my mom has always been, or had always been good. Yeah, there was always the conflict of, okay, being the only lesbian in the family, uh, only queer person in the family, how does that make me different from my, my siblings? That was always kind of an internal struggle with me. And because once I, I kind of, once I came out to my mother, uh, she was, a, she was accepting of me, although I don't think she truly understood it, but she was accepting of me. So how did you find the photos? Going through, you know, my mom had, before she passed away, she had dementia. Uh, so me and my sister would often drive to where she lived, which is in Pahrump, Nevada, which is a very small town um, in the middle of nowhere. And we would spend time going through old family photos to kind of like, hey, mom, remember when we did this? Mm. And hey, remember when we went to the zoo? And all those fun things that you would do with your parent growing up and just trying to keep her engaged with not only her past, but with us as well. But uh, it was also a part of our, our process of, of dealing with the mother that had dementia that didn't remember who we really were any longer. So it was kind of one of those things that uh, we did it for, for mom, but we also did it for ourselves. One of the times I had gone up to see my mom by myself, I was looking for some more photos to go through. And I'm like, okay, there's got to be other photos. Because, I mean, going through the same photos over and over and over, it's like, okay, this is like, I need something new to look at. 
So finding the, the photos in the back of my, a box of photos in the back of my mother's closet that said mother's old photos on it. So I'm thinking, great, I don't know what these photos are. So I'm going to start looking at them. And I opened up the box and I'm like, wow, these are really old. And I could tell instantly that they were, you know, that black and white and um, they were on black cray paper and there was white handwriting underneath most of the photos and, and looking at the photos thinking, wow, these I realized they weren't my mother's photos. They were her her mother's photos, which was kind of that, oh, okay, this is awesome. I can, like, now it's like a family time capsule. I can kind of learn about my family as well because I really didn't know much about my grandmother's early days growing up in Wisconsin. I, my mom never really talked about it, and I didn't even know anything about it. So, uh, you know, looking at the photos and, and kind of confirming with my mom, you know, mom, are these grandma's photos and she's like yeah uh, but she didn't really seem interested in it themselves she just kind of like yeah these are yeah so I kind of confirmed a few more times that this was uh, my grandmother's photos and you saw in those photos what looked like a gay wedding right that like that the groom was oh, yeah. a was a woman and so what was going right. through your head to see photos like that from the early 1900s where you wouldn't expect to see that Right. Well, I mean, the film itself was just, it was overwhelming. Once I made that discovery, that aha moment that, oh my God, the, the groom standing next to my, my grandmother, not only is he not my grandfather, but he actually was a woman dressed as the groom. So that was the, those moments in your life where you just, uh, everything kind of came together for me. It's like, wow, okay, I'm not the only queer person in the family. Mm -hmm. My grandmother, me and my grandmother had something that was really special. We didn't know about it. I didn't know about it at the time, but we have that that kind of that shared commonality of, of wow, we, we love the same way. We, we loved women. And uh, it was it was really life affirming for me because as much as a person feels loved and accepted within their family, feeling like you're the only one is is, is lonely sometimes. Did your mom have any idea what the photos were of or that your grandmother had had married a woman? Yeah, I I asked mom several times. And what was so interesting to me is her reaction, even though she had to mention I wasn't sure if she really knew what I was asking her or what I was looking at or if she was just kind of like, OK, I'm just going to play that dimension part and she won't ask me any more questions. <laughs> uh, it was hard to know really what she knew because she was very uh, her reaction to it was, was, was very visceral. It was kind of like I was showing the pictures and she would just quickly look away. It was like she couldn't really look at the pictures. So I have to imagine that she did know what was in the photos and also some of the information that I, I talked to her sister about the photos because she was the only one that was alive uh, at one point. Uh, so I asked my, my aunt what she knew about the photos and she kind of indicated that they're because they had grown up with these boxes. I mean, literally, these boxes of photos traveled from 1915 to 2010 when I discovered it, from basically from closet to closet. That's why I kind of felt that the boxes themselves had kind of a, a, a life of their own. They had a personality, uh, and I had to kind of write about that discovery of what was inside of the boxes and what would have been like to be one of those boxes, you know, going from home to home for so many uh, decades. I mean, really, to carry those photos for that long, it's, it's pretty incredible. And so that obviously was sort of the catalyst for you to uncover more about your grandma's life. And so once you started to dive in, like, what did you uncover? Yeah, I covered, there was not only that I, I, I found who the, the woman was in the photos, 
uh, when during the wedding photos, but also discovered kind of a subculture of women that found a way to connect in a very small town in Wisconsin. So when I found this kind of group, I'm like, well, how would they do that? And I'm I'm um, inquisitive by nature. So I kept on kind of digging into, well, how would they have found each other? Why would they have done this? And reading some of the local newspapers there, and it's amazing what you can find online. Uh, if you go to like ancestry.com or newspapers.com, you can read the newspapers back then, and it would give details of who was in town doing what, uh, who were they visiting. So you'd have articles saying, Ella was in town from San Francisco visiting her cousin Roger. Uh, and so they would have all these really intricate details about people in a very small town, especially it was easy to identify when a group of women would be coming in to town and who were they coming to visit. And most of them were coming to visit uh, a woman by the name of Cora Turner, which is no relations to me. Hmm. So it, it started to kind of evolve. It started to become this really big picture uh, of, of a storyline. Uh, when I first started writing it, I was writing more of a, a love story between my grandmother and Ella, because that's who, who I knew about at the time. But as the group got bigger and bigger and bigger, I realized that it was bigger than me, and it was bigger than just the wedding photos. It was a whole subculture of people that managed to find a way to connect, and I wanted to, to, to really understand that better. So that's where I started doing more and more research. And granted, I'm not a professional historian. I'm not academically trained to be a historic historian. So that being said, I want a full, full disclaimer that I, you know, I'm not going to claim to know everything about LGBTQ plus history. I just know what my little world looked like. And that's what I was writing about. How were they finding each other? Like, were, were they whispering the word lesbian into the wind and hoping that? <laughs> I don't even know. I, I think that word, I don't know if, if lesbian was a, a phrase that it would be even be used back then. Because there was a lot of things going on politically back then. They had the Comstock Act, which was another kind of conservative group that was using the phrase of Americanism or hyper-patriotism to keep the new Europeans that were coming over in line. So they would use that kind of hyper-patriotism to curtail people from meeting, uh, especially uh, in big cities. So I think that was one of the reasons that it drew a lot of people to the more rural areas is because they wanted to to be a little bit more free than being in the city where they knew there would be more scrutiny. There was also obviously letter writing was it was the primary. There was no telephones back then or anything else. So uh, the communication would have had to have been through uh, through mail. But looking at the photos, I, I realized that some of the photos had different names on them underneath it. Like my grandmother's name was Ruby, Ruby Peterson. But underneath her photos, a lot of times would say Peter mm -hmm. or Pete. So they would use kind of these code names and my speculations, they would use these code names to communicate. So Peter or Pete would be a part of, of how they would communicate who was doing what and where. Uh, the other funny thing that I found out during the research is my grandmother was actually uh, one of the phone girls in town. And that's what they called them at the time, phone girls. So she was a part of that. So then I was like, okay, well, that's really funny. That's probably another way that they would communicate because 
we didn't have private phone lines at the time. There, a lot of them were shared lines. So she would kind of use that, uh, my speculation, she would use that to the advantage of being able to communicate with some of the other gals in the, in, in the group to say, okay, we're going to have a card party over at Cora's house this weekend. Come on over. So it was, it was really a lot of fun to start getting into the what ifs and thinking like, okay, if I was a lesbian back then, what would I do? Mm-hmm. I'm like, I would do exactly what she's doing. I would find a way to connect with people that I related to. So that was a lot of um, kind of the basis of the story is based on what would I, how would I react if I was a lesbian a hundred years ago? What, what, what would my life be like? And was she married at this time? You know, I, I'm assuming at some point she, you know, she had a child, she had your mom. So was she living yeah. a double life or was this sort of before she got married? What did that, you know, what did her life trajectory look like? You know, because I'm telling the story, obviously we know kind of the end result of the story line for her, but she did marry my grandfather, which I never met, by the way. That's why I was so curious to see what he looked like because he left the family in 19. 19- 39. They were married in 1920 or 21. Mm-hmm. There's a five-year gap between when my grandma Ruby married Ella or had a wedding ceremony. Obviously, weddings weren't legal back then. Uh, so it was just, it was more of a ceremony that they had for their love. So there was five years of that. And then she had to marry uh, my grandfather. And that was a part of that. What was being good American look like? And that was having a husband, having a, or a wife and having the kids and having that kind of that very uh, conventional type of life that uh, was expected back then. So what do you know about her relationship with your grandfather? And like, did you know if she was still seeing Ella or if she had to just drop all of those friends in order to become a, a wife and a mother? Was that required or was she still able to see her other friends? Everything kind of stops when they got married. And I think that's where she had to conform. The letters that she wrote the night before she got married to Arnold, that was my grandfather, kind of tells me that she knew what she was giving up because she was comparing the letters that she wrote was going from sunshine to darkness and comparing herself to being a good soldier. So it was really kind of tragic, that mentality that she had to give up that life that she loved and and to conform to uh, what was expected of her at that time. What happened to Ella? I'm looking at probably writing another book about Ella. Uh, She did move away. She moved away. uh, I know exactly where she went. She went to Oregon. She went to Portland, Oregon. Uh, She was a school teacher there. Uh, She never got married, and she never moved back. Wow. Yeah. Is it strange for you that the only reason that you exist is because your grandma did conform? Right. And that's, that is, it's, it's ironic that that is how it turned out. But that's also a part of that. I believe in a fate. And I believe that that's kind of one of the things I'm supposed to discover while I'm here and tell her story. Mm-hmm. And not her, just her story, but for Ella and for the, all, the, all the other uh, women and our queer ancestors, because there is a lot out there uh, with queer ancestry. And it's just the stories aren't being told. Mm-hmm. You're starting to see sprinkles of photos showing now. There's some really wonderful photos that are, are getting revealed with men and the women uh, of that era. And it's really touching to see how they had to have loved, how brave that they would be or have to be at that time to love the person that they wanted to be with. So do you feel like, you talked about that you believe in fate. Do you feel that it's like fate that you're also a queer woman? 
Yeah, uh, and I think that's a part of it. You know, I think it's all a big, a big package to to have experience because honestly, if my brother or sister would have found or anybody else would have found those photos, they would not have known what to look at. They would not have seen the hair tucked underneath the hats. They wouldn't have seen the pant legs and the cuffs rolled up because they're they're too big for the women. They wouldn't have known that. And so it's just, it was, it was fate because it's right that moment at that time that's when the photos needed to be discovered. And I think I was ready to make that discovery and it was ready for the story was ready to be told. I find it so fascinating how I, I'm also deep into learning about lesbians in the 1920s for a project I'm working on. And but they're based in New York City, so not very rural. Mm. I find it so interesting that back then and now how tied gender is to everything, right? The going by the nickname Pete and dressing in a masculine manner to indicate that you are interested in women. And even like, you know, I think a lot about the language that gay men used where the reason that gay men call each other she to this day is because they used to use she to refer to each other so they wouldn't get caught dating other men. So like, when someone says to you like, oh, all of this stuff is new and it's a trend or whatever, how do you respond to that based on what everything that you've learned? Uh, yeah, I, I just have to say that we've been here all along. Being queer is nothing new in society. We've been here, even if you go back to Roman era, it, 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 we've been here all along. We really have had to live in the background of society because that's what we had to do to survive for so many years. And we didn't just show up like 50 years ago and saying, hey, we want to get married. Uh, we've always been here. And it's just a matter of putting back the layers and understanding that we've been in here. And, and our story deserves to be told. Uh, we, we played an important part of history. We, we always have. Uh, now it's just bringing that history to light and exposing it and letting people know that, yes, uh, we've been here along. It's amazing to me. I always talk to people. It doesn't matter if they're straight or whatever. Uh, they'll always say, yeah, you know, I think my uncle Sam was, was maybe, he might have been gay. Or my aunt so-and-so, yeah, she never got married, but we kind of suspect. I, I get that so often. It's, it's pretty amazing that, you know, you start talking about, you know, uh, our queer ancestors. And so many people are like, yeah, you know, I, we always thought that she might, because she never got married. She always had this, this friend with her. I'm like, yeah, she's gay. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> So it's it's exciting to tell that story, and and I learned so much along the way about our history and our, our the way we tell our history, and, and I hope I've done it justice uh, because, like I said, I, this is not my primary. I'm a late in life writer, but now I've got the bug. I just can't wait to tell more stories about our our ancestry and how we got here and how do we evolve. And you know, I want to tell that story not only for ourselves but for um, the younger people, yeah, you know, of letting them know what our history looked like. Uh, this, especially today, a lot going on politically. It's important that we're, we're seen and that we're, we can represent and the representation does matter because the rights that we have today clearly are, are in jeopardy with what's going on with uh, Roe versus Wade. It's, it's, it's petrifying. And we have to look at that and understand that that's at risk. If people think that they won't go after gay marriage, they're not paying attention. It's just something that we have to know. But it's important to know our history as, as it stands and, 
and that we have been here and, uh, you know, not to give up on that, but just to keep going, but don't take it for granted. We just got to get out there and vote and show that we deserve to be here and they can't erase us, even though they would like to erase us. They would like to erase the word gay. Uh, they like to ban our books. Uh, we just can't let that happen. There's a lot of like, oh, this is all sort of brand new, but honestly, like, what happens is that they're banning legal gay marriage. They're banning, you know, legal gay gatherings, legal gay, whatever. But all of this stuff, like your grandmother's marriage, it, it's happening anyway. The love is still being celebrated. Right. They're still getting married. You know, I think like it's this under, it's like an underground mimicking of like normative society that is, oh, that has always been there. When people are like, Trans and non-binary people are new. I'm like, not, uh, do you know Billy Tipton? Like, not really. Right. No, not at all. Yeah, exactly. And that's why it's so important to get those stories out mm -hmm. there because we have to be visible. We have to to make sure that we don't take that for granted because yeah. a lot of people would like to have that go away. We're going to take a quick break, but stick around. we're back. Do you think your grandmother would be um, pissed that she was outed? I don't think so. No. <laughs> I really don't. I think she, I think, you know, when I found the photos and I made that realization, I just, you know, the feeling I had, and I have to believe that she was with me at that moment, like just hugging me and saying, thank you for finding my story and telling me, thank you for finding me. I think she was hidden in that box literally for so long, I, I think she should be thrilled. I, I really do. I can't see it any other way. I think uh, she would get a hoot out of, of all this going on and, and her story being told and Ella's story. And I think she would really enjoy it. Did you reach out to Ella's family at all? I have not. No, I, actually, one of the things I want to do is probably go there. I found that, you know, when I was writing the book, I did a lot of research online, which is all wonderful. It gives me good, kind of that good uh, data that I, well, for lack of a better word. But going there itself, you find so much more information just by going to the libraries right. or going to the archive. Uh, I went to the Amherst, Wisconsin Library two times during the process of writing the book just to kind of be there. And I found uh, newspaper articles and things that were not digitized yet that I found in their archive uh, that I wouldn't have found if I had not been there. And just being there was it was really important for me to feel the story, uh, just to kind of walk the same streets that she did and what would have been like uh, living kind of that parallel journey. Of, and it was kind of surreal at some points because I felt that it was living a current life and also living a past life at the same time, which was really interesting for me. It was like, I, I had to kind of like shake my head once in a while just to say, wait a minute, what, what year is this? Because <laughs> I feel like I'm back in 1915. So I have to, you know, but it was fun being there. I, I have to say I was doing the research and being there where the wedding photos took place. It, it was magical to me because it felt that it was the right thing to do to make that kind of that pilgrimage to where the wedding took place. Uh, and I, I was there a hundred year on the hundred year anniversary oh, wow. of the photos when it was taken, uh, just to kind of experience and look around. And uh, it was a very small town and a very small house in the middle of a small in, in, on the outskirts of a small town. So just being there itself was was really magical for me. Wow. Do you think that you know once your 
grandpa left the family. Do you think that your grandma had any other, you know, relationships that she maybe kept secret from from her kids? I don't know. She never remarried. I looked for anything else that would tell me kind of where she was, you know, photos that she might have had and dates. There's really nothing. It's kind of like it's almost that her life, for lack of a better word, kind of ended at that point of of having to conform. Uh, I didn't there wasn't a lot of happiness uh, in her life other than probably having her children, Mm -hmm. because one thing I remember of my grandmother and and my mom would even say, she goes, your, your grandmother's never been happy a day of her life. And I got, I kind of go, I, now I know why. Yeah. You know, it's kind of like, I now I get it. A lot of things that were said back then, I understand it now. And I wouldn't have understand it. I wouldn't understand it as a, a straight person. And I don't think I would have understood it if I found it 20 years ago. I, I think I'm in the right space and the right time to, to, to understand really what her life may look like uh, before she got married to my grandfather and possibly afterwards as well. Yeah. That's like heartbreaking to hear that like your mom's opinion of her was someone who was miserable, but from like, it sounds like from what the letters you read when she was living her true life, she wasn't that way. And she was full of love and hope and. uh, Yeah. And happy. I mean, the the photos themselves are, they're so funny and witty. I mean, there's a lot of photos um, that are just because she did. She took a lot of time to put little captions underneath her photos. They were funny. I mean, they were like stuff I would write now. It's like kind of like wow. There's just she was kind of before her time as far as just documenting the photos and how they were super. They were very funny and very witty and very loving towards each other. And um, it was beautiful to see the photos. And I'm so grateful that I was had the opportunity to to be able to look at her life and kind of write about that. Is the rest of your family supportive of the project? They are. Uh, you know, I think it, it took them a while to understand why it was so important. They're kind of like, and they're like, for a long time, they're like, oh, yeah, yeah, you're writing a book. Okay, yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> but like, no, I'm really writing a book. Because no one knew me as, you know, a lot of my friends didn't even know that I was writing a book. A lot of them were like, until like it even came out, they're like, wait a minute, you've been writing a book all this time? I'm like, Yeah. <laughs> So I think there's there. My sister is wonderfully supportive. Um, she she gets it. I, I think you know it was it was like I said hard for them to understand the importance and why I had to write about this and tell this bigger story because, it, but they wouldn't understand. How would they? Yeah. You know they didn't have to live the life and the life I live in. Los Angeles, California versus any other places in the country. I, I'm, I feel blessed to be here because it, it's still scary in some of the places in the United States and in the world to be to be queer. So I, I really am thankful that, you know, I, I had the opportunity to live where I am. But that's also a part of the message is like, even if you think you're, uh, you're the only queer in town in a little town in Arkansas, um, and you never, no family members are queer, nobody's queer except for you in this little town, I, I've got to say that's wrong. You're not alone. We, you know, we've always been here. We always will. Uh, and that person is not alone. And we, we want it to, uh, to honor them as well. Thank you so much. It was so beautiful and sad and tragic. And I think highlights what's going on today with like, like we've always been here. We'll always be here. We'll always be fighting. And all you're doing is, is hurting people by not allowing them to be who they are. 
and creating generation generations of pain, generations of pain because it reverberates. Oh, yeah. So. It does. I don't have a smooth transition here, but would you like to play a game show? <laughs> I would love to play that. Yay! Woo! Different <laughs> tone. Totally different. So this game show is called Hypotheticals. You and Gabby are my contestants. Oh, no. I'm going to give you a series of hypothetical situations. You can ask any clarifying questions you might have, and then you tell me what you would do, and then I get to decide if there's a winner, who the winner is maybe I'm the winner. We'll see. It's not fair. <laughs> it's not fair at all. And that that's one bit. Slight. And that's ah, yes, how yes. it is. Yeah. Okay, so our first game is America's favorite game show. We asked, they answered. <laughs> Would you stay with this cheater? Okay. Your partner of four, of four years has always used sex as a way to release stress. One day, they are about to give a big speech at a work conference and are so nervous that they sleep with their favorite co-worker to self-regulate. They then crush the speech. Would you stay with this cheater? No way. That's crazy. <laughs> now, hold on. I mean, what? What? <laughs> if they if they crush the speech, what happens then? Like they what got if, a big promotion and a raise, a raise, promotion. Gabby's very financially motivated. <laughs> <laughs> now they're also asked to consult, so they're they're really next echelon of their career. Do we have a prenup? You're actually not wow. married. That you said spouse. Oh. I said partner. God damn it. Oh, yeah, that's probably okay. And four <laughs> years isn't enough for common law. Okay, so, no. uh, so I can't divorce them and get money. Okay, I think that they, I think that they need to go to sex and love addiction, like I, they need to go to group therapy. Okay, so you would just, you would say we need to work on this, but you wouldn't bail. Yeah, I would say I need. I hear are my oh, conditions. You're so nice. I need you. <laughs> My condition. You're bailing. You're bailing. I'm totally out of here. No, no, no. <laughs> I would say maybe we need to go into some sort of sex addiction therapy, rehab, something. What if they called you right before and said, hey, can I do this? It's the only way I'm going to be able to give a good speech. No. <laughs> I mean, you got you to, you got, you have other options to release. I'm just saying, you know, take care of yourself. Yeah, uh, stay on the phone if you want. But. Right. Why couldn't we have done phone sex? Well, it's interesting. It took you this long to think of that. God uh, damn it. <laughs> ah, the answer was right there. <laughs> okay. Our next game. Are you a terrible parent? Your child, eight, loves to be in water, but refuses to learn how to swim and instead relies on floaties. You move to a new house with a pool and tell your kid that until they learn how to swim, the pool will be drained and empty. For three years, it remains empty until their friends peer pressure them into learning how to swim so they can use the pool. Are you a terrible parent? I think draining the pool is kind of, I mean, I think I live in California, so I'm thinking all oh, that water to waste, really? And I'm thinking, no, it's a terrible water waste. I don't want to do it. I don't, no, I don't think you're a bad parent. I think you're just not very, you're not, you're not using common sense to say, can we go get lessons for you for a little Jimmy or whatever? So I don't think you're a bad parent. I just think it's not a good use of, of water. I can't swim in my own pool. 
Right. So that's the other thing is now no one in the home is having access to the pool that is right there. So you're also kind of punishing yourself, your spouse and your other child. Yeah, that's your terrible parent. That's so dumb. I hate it. Also, that's just gonna, I don't think it's a terrible parent. I just think you're not very smart. It just doesn't seem to make sense. Unless you're using really. that pool as like a skateboarding. Mm, you know yeah, what I mean? Yeah. That's got to say, yeah. Am I very dumb. into skateboarding? No, no. You actually were once robbed by a skateboarder. So you hate them. Oh. Yeah, they robbed you real quick, though, because they just scooted right by. (laughs) Oh, my God. That's so sad. Skateboarders, I just want to say for real that skateboarders face a lot of discrimination in terms of loitering laws. They do. They do. So they needed to, maybe they needed to rob me. And why would that be? (sighs) I don't know. Fill the pool. (laughs) Fill the pool. Fill the pool. Fill the pool. Fill the pool. Your husband and your other child start unionizing. Fill the pool. I feel like, in a way, I don't think this person's actually a terrible parent because pool safety is very important. And so for you to have a a filled pool with a child who doesn't know how to swim can be very dangerous. Put up a gate. Do what my parents did. One, my parents put up a gate. And two, also, I grew up in Florida. You throw that baby in the water and it'll learn. All right. And that's why we are afraid for you to have children. Um, (laughs) Okay, our final game. Would you forgive this liar? You show up to your office Christmas party and notice that one of your colleagues is wearing the exact same outfit as you. You both laugh and joke about it and end up spending the evening hanging out and getting closer. Five years later, no. while drunk on vacation together, no. because you have become so close, no, they admit that they <laughs> saw what you ordered on your computer and bought the same outfit on purpose to get closer to no. you. Would you forgive this liar? I think I would. I mean, it came from an honest place. Like, it's not like mean or anything that they were trying to undercut your your appearance. They were like kind of like, want, I think it's kind of flattering, actually. I think it'd be... Well, that's kind of cute, a little weird, a little creepy. Kayla, <laughs> Kayla, this person is trying to murder you. No, this they're trying person, to be your no, friend. No, we, they, they are single white femaleing you <laughs> as we speak. But it worked because you're still friends five years later. But how do I know that they're not just saying yes to everything? I, like, if I'm like, I love this movie. And they're like, I also love this movie. Like, how do you know that that's their real opinion? Oh. Yeah. Oh, yeah. See, <laughs> nobody here is trying to protect themselves except for me, who is very paranoid. <laughs> I would rather have a friend. <laughs> Whatever. I just like to have friends. You're going to be the person in the true crime documentary who they're like, I, she just, her smile lit up a room <laughs> and she was so trusting. And then the other person killed you. How am I in the documentary then? If it's I'm the, the documentary is about you. Oh, okay. You're the victim. I'm the star? You're the star. Ooh, I've been waiting a long time to star <laughs> in something. <laughs> <laughs> Okay, so you you guys have had very different opinions about almost all of these. Yeah, it turns out the queer community is not a monolith. <laughs> you heard it here first, <laughs> folks. <laughs> Thank you so much for joining us. Where can people find your book and everything that you're doing? Right now it's on Amazon, but it's sold out on Amazon. Ah! So I'm uh, trying to get more books to them. But locally, there's at Vroman's and Books uh, Soup uh, in Hollywood. IndieBound. Go to IndieBound. Yeah, I had that on IndieBound as well. Great. 
Amazing. Yeah, but it's actually sold out quite a few places, which is good. I <gasps> uh, just need to get more books in supply. Congratulations. Thank you. Thank you. But you can go to my website, galaturner.com, and there's events on there and also more photos uh, that you can take a look at to kind of see uh, some, some of the history that I'm talking about. Photos are adorable. They're amazing. Yeah. Thank you so yeah, much. We really appreciate this. Thank you, guys. It was awesome. It was so much fun. Yay. So nice to meet you. <laughs> Stick around after the break. We'll be talking all about the January 6th hearings. Oh, boy. Fun stuff. to just between us it's time for chopping x x x x x x x baby baby yeah Aww. there it is <laughs> there's <Yay>. melissa <laughs> melissa's here because uh, this is a topic that well, we all love to be angry we're just being angry about uh. so yeah so i wanted to pick the january 6th hearings because obviously it's a huge national event that's going on but i also wanted to get your thoughts on like does it matter <laughs> like you know because the hearings aren't, they don't have the ability to indict anyone right. or to, to have criminal charges. It's basically them making a case for the Justice Department to then bring criminal charges if they want to, which I doubt will happen. Right. But I also think that, like, for history, uh-huh. it is important that this happens. Do you agree with that? Okay. I just rewatched The Big Short. And at the end of The Big Short, they say... They do this whole thing where they're like, and then all the bankers and all the people that knew about this and all the people that were creating these um, like mortgage bundles and whatever, then they all went to jail and everything changed. Just kidding. And then they're like, one guy went to jail and he was just a guy who worked for Credit Suisse and he went to jail for like faulty mortgage, whatever. One person out of all of these people that created this crisis, 2008 recession, one person went to jail who like barely had anything to do with it. So that's what I feel like is happening here. It, it didn't end up doing anything. It, I mean, yes, things changed in terms of the way that mortgages are bundled or whatever, but like not that much. And like all this stuff still kind of happens in this more like backwards, less overt way. But that's what I think. So what? They're going to send like one person to jail and then what? Well, I don't even <laughs> think that the hearing is meant to yeah, be about putting people in jail. I think it's to have this all be on the record. Uh-huh. That's all it is. It's theater, basically, and putting everything on the record and messing with the general hospital every day. <laughs> <laughs> and I, But I, I do think that it's important because imagine if we didn't have it. I know. Then I no know. one would remember it. Right. And now it's a, and they're they're releasing more information. We're getting all of these interviews. Like, do I think that these hearings will directly tie to people changing their vote? No, because the people that would change votes, they're not watching it and it's not airing on the station of no. those people that votes would need to change. But I do think in a government that has lost so much credibility to not do this would lose them even more. Yes. I guess the idea is to have everything put into the public record and then to have like a clear timeline and like idea of what's happened for for future generations, for his, the history of America, rather than sweeping it under the rug. Yeah, and I, I think there is also a, an optimistic, if not maybe not realistic hope that there are all these people that are running for office who are 
an active part of this. Mm-hmm. And so hope hoping that this will prevent them from either winning election or re-election. That part, I'm like, I, I hope that happens. Is it will it? I don't know. But I do think that the choice not to have the hearings would have been a mistake. Correct. 100 percent agree, because then it just seems like everybody's just lying down and doing nothing. Right. It's still, like I said, it, it's still theater, but it needs to be put into a public record. Right. It's. I mean, it's truly mind boggling the things that are coming out of this hearing. Can I be frank with you all in the audience? You have never done that before. Who's so frank? I, I'm scared. <laughs> um, I've been off Twitter since September 2020. And until you put this on the docket of things for us to talk about, I have not given it a, a once a thought. Really? I Nope. I don't know about it. I barely think about it. I don't see it. I'm kind of in this weird position where I'm so checked out of the news that I'm getting a sense as to how our parents or how people are getting swayed in these ways. Because when I was talking about, I think on this show about the the Johnny Depp Amber Heard hearing, Like if somebody came to me today that I loved and trusted and said X, Y, and Z is what's happening and that's what everyone on Twitter is saying and that's what everyone in the news is saying and I didn't like look it up myself, I'd be like, that seems right. I am sort of in this place where I feel like I'm the average person. Like where like if you're just like a guy and you work painting bridges in fucking rural, let's say Alabama, you're not on Twitter. You don't look at anything like that. You just like go home to your family. And then someone, you know, says, yeah, the hearings are it's all a conspiracy uh, just to, you know, make make sure that Trump doesn't win again. How do I if I don't have any like marginalized group, like if I don't have any sort of like, oh, I you know, I should care about this because I'm a woman. I should care about this because I'm trans. I should care about politics, X, Y and Z. Why would I? Like, I feel like I completely understand why these the the average voter is just like not invested in any of this stuff because it doesn't affect their material day to day life. Do you know what I mean? Like, if you just like go home and you're like, God, I hope I can pay my water bill. Like, you're not like on Twitter being like fighting with some person with a blue check mark. Okay. does that make sense? Like, I feel like it makes sense, but I guess I don't quite know what you're where you're going with my that. My point is, is that I think that these people won't change their votes. Like, oh, I, but that's yeah. not what we're saying. I know, but I think like where the idea is like, well, it'll put the on the record that these politicians were bad and then the votes will change. Like that, that guy doesn't care. <laughs> I don't think it's for vote. I don't, really don't think it's for votes to change. It's more for this is American history that's being written down. I don't think it, no one's vote's going to change because of this. But then how do we know that Trump doesn't get reelected and then just go into the archives and tear everything up? Well, because, you know, people have videos. Yeah, there's not just <laughs> yeah. written record, there's video record and yeah, it's but across then that guy, multiple stations. That guy just goes, it's a deep fake. Like, I think we're in a much dire situation than people are realizing. I'm not arguing with that at all. I, I guess I'm just saying that like, I, you know, it's, it's this frustrating thing where, like, I'm glad that the hearings are happening, but it will also be really hard to see. I mean, I definitely think you're right that everyone's living in a vacuum and a lot of the people that need to see this content is never going to see it. But I do think that most likely a Democratic opponents will be pulling clips from these hearings in their ads against a lot of candidates who were directly involved. 
But I think what needs to happen even more is the fucking Justice Department needs to actually indict Trump. Right. And I don't think that's ever going to happen. that's not going to happen. Other countries have done it, though. I know. Gabby, I have a question. Do you, would you prefer, like, do you think, like, they should do nothing? No, I don't think they should do nothing. But I just don't, I just, I, I sometimes I think that there's this, like, Democrat idea of if we just, like, do all these things correctly, everything will turn out. But like, I don't know, like to to me, I don't think it changes anything. I don't think it affects anything. Like, I don't think like the the random person who's like obsessed with Joe Rogan and like is, you know, it, thinks that all the videos are probably deep fakes. Like, it's not going to it's too late. Like, it doesn't matter. <laughs> I disagree with you. I think it matters you know, for these people who are finally getting to share their stories, like even just on an individual level, for the Capitol Police to be able to say what it was like for them, for these election workers who were targeted by Trump and Giuliani to be able to say how their lives have been ruined for doing nothing wrong, even on just this individual level for these people who went through that day and then went through the attacks about the election being a fraud, Mm -hmm. for them to get a voice and to get to say, you know, what happened, like, Will it change people's votes? But for us not to do anything, I think having the hearings is in a way is a neutral move, whereas the choice to not have the hearings would be a bad move, Mm -hmm. if that makes sense. Like it would do more. I I don't know how much good the hearings will do, but not having the hearings, I think, would do more bad because it would just like I think we need to be fighting on so many different fronts. And this is one front. Will it be the most effective way? No, but it is still an effort. Yeah. Yeah. I don't want our audience to like think whatever of me, but truly when you were like, let's talk about these, I was like, oh, are those still going on? Like I have no, and and like I can imagine a guy who's like, or some person being like, if it doesn't immediately get me a $7 raise so that I can fill my gas tank, or if it doesn't directly affect like my diabetic child, then like, I really don't give a fuck about this like shit coming out on the internet. You know what I mean? Like, I feel like it's very, I feel like there's the, this is the like gap that the Democrats have, which is just like, but I feel this like- really matters. And we need to like put this out and we need to like, you know, be having these hearings and like, it would it no it, like the people that are actually like suffering don't care. <laughs> I, I, I don't I don't know what you're saying isn't sitting right with me. I just don't think like even if you're not like some white guy, if you're just like a poor person who like is trying to make ends meet like out in some sort of like, you know, urban wasteland area, you're not like watching these things happening on TV. You don't care. I don't think that's necessarily true. I think there are people that do care, yeah, regardless of economic status. But what is it going to do for you day to day? Gabby, the, the president actively tried to overthrow a free election. So for us to to say, oh, who cares? Because I'm some people won't who, watch that on the news. I'm not saying it's a big leap in logic. I'm not saying who cares, but I'm saying like they're not going to indict him. It doesn't matter. They overturn Roe v. Wade. Like things are coming and happening. And like this idea that like, well, if we just get it on the record, it's like, okay, like who they're going to just I feel like it's us being like, but the record says as we're being like pushed to the death camps, (laughs) like it doesn't matter. 
But the record isn't, it's not like, oh, and okay, I, I agree that at 100% there are really bad things happening and that we need to like continue to fight for them. But you're just sort of being like, well, who gives a sh-? Like, like, no, I think it's the wrong focus. I don't say, I'm not saying who gives a shit, but I think we got to focus elsewhere. I think this is part of the focus. Right. Like you have to do this. This is part it's of part the process. Of and no one's saying it's all of the process. Right. But if we don't do it, then it could be more detrimental than not. Right. Like I, I like you're sort of approaching it with this like, well, if it's not fix it 100 percent overnight, then what's the point? But like it's all all there's so many different pieces to this pie. And I think that putting all of this on record and and I mean, I, I think also some of this might be that you're not following any of it. But what is coming out is really, really bad. <laughs> I, I know that it is, but I guess it's just kind of I just have a problem sometimes where I feel like the Democrats are doing this kind of thing. And then the Republicans are like, abortion is illegal and you will now all die. And we're like, well, it's a good thing we're getting all this stuff out in court. Like it doesn't like I feel like a lot of times the Democrats are are doing these kinds of things that like we think are. I don't know. I just worry that there's this like focus on doing what's right and like making sure that things are right. But the other side is just like. Uh, now you're all dead. I think you, I, but I think that Democrats should be doing both, though. I think they should be doing what's right and then also getting in the gutter and playing dirty. Yeah. Like you still have to follow a certain process. And Do we? Y- yes. The other side isn't at all. Trump is going to get elected again. There's no, they're not, they're not playing. There's no benefit to play. Like it's a waste of our energy, I'm finding. Like there's no benefit to I don't know I just feel like it's like well we still have to hold to the way the government works and it's like they're not we still need to uphold because if we don't uphold then we're not no better than they are I'm glad we can take our morality with us to uh, but I'm saying we need to but I'm saying we need to do both it's not just yeah we have to still like do what we're supposed to do yeah but we still that they still need to get in the gutter and play dirty yes Right. They're not mutually exclusive. Mm-hmm. I worry that they are. Well, I, I don't know. And I, I yeah, I don't think that they are. I, I, I think that I think that for us not to have had these hearings would have been a mistake. Do, do I think that the hearings will fix everything? Absolutely not. I think both of those things can be true. What are some of the worst things that are coming out? I mean, Trump basically asked the the guy in Georgia to just find him the 11,000 votes. <laughs> <laughs> but we kind of all knew that, didn't we? But to get this on the public record with the person he asked directly saying that. Yeah, yeah, it was speculated, but now it's a fact. Will that stop him from winning again? It's so hard to talk to you sometimes. (laughs) I really find it difficult to talk to you. But is that going to stop him from winning again? I mean, if they indict him, it hopefully would. But that, you know, but like, I feel like he could get elected again whilst sitting in jail. I agree with you. But I also think he basically said the same thing before he was even elected. Right. But I, I again, like, you know, I think that this is also proving that there was no election fraud, which I think is is helpful for that to be on public record. You know, I, I like it. You're so defeatist and so like uh, and I, I'm I, not I, defeatist. I, I, I think with, I want to fight from different angles. I want to fight differently. 
But that, right. But that there's also, you know, think about like older people yeah. out to dinner with their conservative friends yeah. who have been watching the hearings and for them to be able to say, and this, and, and this was proven yeah. in Congress. They have video footage of the testimony of yeah. the electing, election representative saying that this happened. You know, yeah. it, it gives them a little more ammunition to talk to their conservative friends when it's been in Congress. Yeah. Then when it's like, oh, NBC News reported this. Do you know, yeah. like, like we don't know what kinds of conversation. Like, I do. I think that this will massively change people's opinion. No, but I do think that it gives people a lot more tangible things to point to when talking to the people in their lives who are conservative and yeah. maybe are just conservative because that's how they grew up. Yeah. I just am tired of our side flaying ourselves open to have no results. Like, Christine Blasey Ford, like being like describing her rape and then it just like doesn't matter. And now yeah, Brett Kavanaugh's on the like, I just am like my solutions. I can't discuss them here because I will end up on a watch list. <laughs> and look, I believe in those solutions, too. But again, I guess I just don't think it's all, you know, I don't think they're mutually exclusive. Yeah, I agree. Don't put me on a government watch list. You're already on a few. <laughs> <laughs> Well, what do we what do we rate this the roller coaster? Of I an rate episode? it twelve out of eleven. I can't tell you what my what my strategy is, but you all know what it is. <laughs> I rated thirty two out of twenty seven grandparents who surprise us. Yeah, I rated seventy two out of uh, sixty. I'm not associated with Gabby. <laughs> <laughs> Gayla Turner for being our guest. Join us next week for another rousing episode of Just Between Us. Forever! Yeah.